Purposely Podcasts. We deliberately speak to social entrepreneurs, charity founders, and all-round awesome people to hear their founder story. A really warm welcome to Purposely Podcasts and my guest, Katie Brown. Welcome, Katie. Hi, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. Yeah, really good to connect. And um, for context, so for our uh, listeners, I'm sitting in Auckland in New Zealand and you are in the UK. Whereabouts exactly? I'm in Edinburgh. I'm here with my one-year-old Springer Spaniel puppy who is a complete hooligan and will hopefully stay quiet while we're chatting. Do you know what? It really doesn't matter if he doesn't. It will add to the episode, I'm sure. And and <laughs> someone who, is, who has lived in Edinburgh, myself, um, can we a bit more, bit more specific on which part of Edinburgh? Yeah, I'm in Bellevue, which is just on the edge of Newtown. And I absolutely love it here. It's just such a wonderful city, as I'm sure you'll have experienced as well. You know, it's, it's amazing to be so close to the hills. I'm a big hiker. So for me, that was really important. And then, yeah, super close to the coast as well. We've got so many wonderful green spaces. And it's just such a a walkable city and such a friendly city as well. There's a real sense of community here. Yeah, and a beautiful city, isn't it? Absolutely stunning. One of probably the most beautiful cities in the world. Um, what's COVID like for you? What's the, what are the restrictions? Yeah, you know, I've been incredibly lucky. I think um, when I look back on this year and what we've done despite COVID, I, I consider myself you know, one of the, the, the lucky ones that are incredibly privileged. Um, I, I live alone here in Edinburgh, apart from with, with Lucky, my dog. And so, um, you know, it's, it's not been too much of an impact on us in terms of, you know, my, our, biggest, our collective biggest hobby is hiking. And um, we've got the Pentlands, which are a great range of hills on our doorstep, which we can, we can still go to. So we, we are in a, a level of lockdown at the moment where um, cafes and restaurants are closed in the evenings. I think they're not allowed to serve alcohol. You're not meant to leave the Edinburgh boundary, but thankfully that's a, a relatively large area and, and does include the, the Pentlands, as I said. So it's, you know, there, there are restrictions, but we're certainly not as restricted as some places in England at the moment. Yeah. And, and like you say, Scotland seems to have a bit more clarity than maybe England. So you're a, English woman living in Scotland, how's that? Oh, I love it. I I just love Scotland. And um, I think I, I've been very lucky in that I've lived all over the place, um, you know, since leaving university. And, you know, I spent some time living down in London. And then I was also in uh, Geneva in Switzerland, spent some time in Luxembourg. As you know, had some time in New Zealand, which is my favorite country in the world. Uh, right answer. <laughs> oh, you have my heart. You really do. I um, I just love it. And and also spent some time over in uh, in the states on the east coast, so in Boston, uh, New York, and and Baltimore of all places. Uh, and then I came back to the UK and was in Oxford. And and I think you know for me, it was really at this point in in my life, it was either a case of moving back to New Zealand, which became um, clearly not possible this year or moving up to Scotland. It was the only other place that I wanted to be if I was going to stay in the UK. And, and I just love it. It's fantastic. I think, you know, scenery wise, 
it's the closest I can get to your incredible mountains um, and just beautiful, spectacular scenery. Uh, but here, you know, in the UK. So that was uh, shamelessly the main driver for me. Yeah, absolutely. I totally understand that because there is accessibility and beauty um, and, and great for the outdoors. Um, so just um, going into your current role and you're the co-founder and managing director of Skylight Works, um, which is seems like a exciting uh, development in your career. Could you just give us the organisation sort of reason for being and, and mission and, and what it hopes to achieve? Yeah, of course. So we are a um, purpose-led consultancy and we provide very practical support to organisations that deliver positive social impact. And so, you know, what that means in, in reality is that our support can take many different forms. It may be delivering very practical projects for clients. It may be making pan-sector connections and the wonderful things that happen as a result of that. Or it may be sharing helpful guidance. And, and when I say we support organisations that deliver positive social impact, what that means in reality is we mainly work with charities and social enterprises, but we can also work with commercial organisations too. Yeah, exciting times. And I know a bit about your organisation because um, I know your co-founder, Jonathan Smith, um, who to me is hugely respected in the, in the you know, third sector, charity sector. Um, and But he's not the same city as you, is he? He's, he's uh, sitting in Wales. So you're in a terribly modern way. Um, Skylark has, has kind of got um, team members spread around the country and, and possibly the world. Yeah, absolutely. So we, um, we're three co-founders, Jonathan Smith, as you say, who is one of the world's most wonderful humans. And when he hears this, we'll be squirming, um, but <laughs> I'd say it anyway. He um, and he right. was, he, yeah, he is, he's just, I mean, you know, let's have a second where we, we just um, make him blush because he's just wonderful and the most thoughtful person and so selfless and generous. And um, he was head of social purpose at my previous company, um, a, an investment manager called Woodford. And um, he developed a, a multi-million pound charitable program there, which was focused very much on core cost support. So supporting the, the business of charity. And, and he also co-founded the Oxford Institute of Charity, the think tank Charity Futures and, and purpose-led learning platform, Utopi. And so it's fair to say, um, as, as you mentioned, he has a wealth of knowledge about the charity sector and a wonderful community within it as well. And then my other co-founder is Jonathan Black. So we have two Jonathans um, and he is the director of the career service at the University of Oxford. So again, he has an amazing community within the university and we're already collaborating with students and postdocs and academics to support our charity clients, which is fantastic. Mm. And to your point, Jonathan uh, Black lives in Oxford. Uh, Jonathan Smith is over in Wales. I'm up here in, in Edinburgh in Scotland. And I've actually never met Jonathan Black in person. And, you know, it goes to show that we still can achieve things virtually and you still can develop meaningful relationships. And, and it, I think it's one of the really kind of positive things that has, has come out of this year that that geographical boundary is, is so much less of an issue now. Mm, absolutely. And, it, you know, coming from someone who um, I drove three hours every day to get to work um, and didn't really think, you know, live, working and living like this would be possible that, you know, that you could 
be so effective and and thank god for for technology um i think the one one thing for me i guess it sometimes doesn't work is the synchronicity of it or lack of so you know be you'd be working on something and you want some quick feedback and you have to kind of check out where that other person is in their day um but yeah, no exciting times. And I think one of the absolute um, powers, superpowers that Jonathan Smith has is ability to connect good people together to do good things. So, um, you know, I could see some really good things coming for Skylight Works. I'm really intrigued actually, the name, um, why Skylight Works? Yeah, it's a great question. So when we started out with Skylark back in um, May now, we we needed a project name and we didn't even really know what Skylark was going to be at that time. We just knew we wanted to do something and um, we knew that it had to have social purpose. And so we were kind of chatting about different project names and John made a reference to, oh, you know, we really need to get Skylark launched. And that made me think of um, rockets. And so I started Googling uh, rocket names, bizarrely, uh, as you do. And Skylark was a British sounding rocket design. Uh, ironically, la first launched in the 50s from Australia, uh, but nonetheless was a, a British designed uh, sounding rocket. And so I suggested this name to, to John and he loves um, Vaughan Williams, The Lark Ascending. He always has it playing in the background. And so Skylark became our project name. And then it just stuck, you know, it was a case of, you know how you start using a name and, and you find that actually people have adopted it and it becomes synonymous with who you are and what you're trying to do. And, and so really we then just stuck with Skylark and, and that's where it, it, it developed from there really. Mm, yeah, it's a really unique name. And I'm, I'm really interested in going into a bit more detail um, about this partnership with Oxford University. Um, and I, I think it just shows this, you know, the sort of people involved and the level you're operating in that you've kind of formed this partnership with Oxford because you know they're a um, stellar organisation. What what's their motivation for partnering with you? Yeah, it's a great question. So the university is a and they have a, a small shareholding in Skylark, and it, I think the the main benefit for Oxford is that their undergraduate and graduate students are able to gain opportunities for you know, real purpose-led experiential learning through Skylark. So, you know, we're doing a piece of work in January with a charity called Team Margot, and we're evaluating their impact. And we're bringing along two postdoc students from the university who are going to work with us on that project. And they're you know, really, really keen to get some practical hands-on consultancy experience, but they also want to apply their academic learning in a, in a very practical sense. And so I think you know, that's one of the wonderful benefits for, for the university and for the students, and also for Oxford academics and alumni, you know, thinking more broadly, is that through Skylark, there's access to a real purpose-led you know, learning environment and, and hopefully, you know, through being able to do internships or join some of our projects, you know, students will be encouraged into the, the sector as well. Mm. I think it's been a big shift recently where, you know, if you took sort of FTSE 100 where companies and, and company CEOs not only go to bed at night worrying about shareholder value, but they actually, you know, um, are really thinking about 
a company's place in the world um, and about purpose beyond just profit. And I think, you know, from what you just described there, that that's a great development for an educational institution. And, and seemingly you guys are well-placed for this new, kind of seemingly new focus on purpose, which is, you know, actually has been around for centuries, um, yes. but, but certainly um, given more credence recently, would you agree? Oh, I completely agree. I think, you know, this is really a time of changing values, as you say, you know, as a society, we're emerging into a much more socially conscious and purpose-led world. And I think, you know, commercial businesses need to truly embed social purpose if they want to remain relevant. You know, people are, are no longer satisfied with just getting the best product or, you know, the best financial return. You know, it needs to have positive social impact or positive environmental impact as well. And I think, you know, we, we need to, to work across sectors to shift paradigms, to, to challenge assumptions, to enable innovative solutions and partnerships that can deliver sustainable social good. And it's, you know, as we said, it's such a, such a time of significant change. And I think positive social impact has never been more important. Mm. And I think traditional forms of, if you're talking about um, money to help um, good get done, um, and that sort of quite traditional forms of funding or, or philanthropy. And I think the good thing about this new focus um, is, is really around more sustainable ways of possibly doing good or change, changing society, uh, which is exciting. Now, I'm really interested in going back a bit in time for you. And I I'd love to focus on, on your time at, at Woodford, because I know it was a sort of formative experience, but I actually want to go back a bit further. So you, um, you're at Leeds University? I was, I studied English at Leeds for no better reason than I liked reading books. And where did you, where, where had you come from? Where, where did you grow up? So I'm a farmer's daughter from North Yorkshire and we, well, my parents have a small sheep and arable farm in the middle of nowhere. It, it's our kind of family farm. It, it had been in the family for 500 years. And um, my dad is actually the end of the line because he had two daughters and neither of us are farmers. So that was, you know, I had a wonderful upbringing in the countryside, surrounded by animals and, you know, just loving being outdoors. Yeah. And um, it's still in touch with uh, you know, sister and family and, and uh, get back there regularly? Yeah, we're very close. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to go down there for Christmas, should, uh, should all of the restrictions permit, which currently it's looking promising. But yes, we're, we're very close. And my sister still lives uh, close to my parents. So it's, it's great when I go down there, I can see everybody and you know, see, see my friends from home as well. Wonderful. Um, so a good time heading uh, Leeds University because I what I one thing I love about um, the UK and and having lived there for a sort of almost a quarter of a century was this um, and but not done university there but is this leaving home effectively going to another town? Um, did you did you love Leeds? Uh, did you grow a love for Leeds? I think what I find interesting looking back is that at the time Leeds felt so far away. And for those, for those people who don't really know the geography, Leeds is about an hour and a half from where I grew up in North Yorkshire. Um, but at the time, it felt like I was going to, you know, this, this other world, um, moving to a city, moving to uh, a, another part of the country. 
And of course, you know, now when I look at the other places I've lived, Leeds looked like I was just popping down the road. But I certainly had a, you know, a really interesting time there. I think part of what I used to reflect on was that studying English actually ruined my love of reading for quite a long time because what I realized very quickly was I just love reading books and I what I don't love is then having to analyze them uh, and I also don't love having to read them under incredible time pressure so I think it was one of those learnings where I I, I maybe shouldn't have studied English just because I liked reading I should maybe yeah. have thought about that a little bit more yeah because you actually then carved out a career um which to me looks quite numbers focused um and and you did a if I've got this right, you've you've done some qualifications in management accounts um, and investment, uh, and so the sort of the swing from words to numbers. Yeah, and and you know entirely by happenstance, I think it's fair to say I I joined Deloitte after university on their graduate program. You had to do some, as you say, management accounting qualifications, which I don't know how I managed to get through them uh, because I'm not a numbers person, and and anyone who knows me knows that. Uh, numbers are not my forte and then yeah, found myself working for a financial services client at Deloitte and then ended up joining what was then a very young uh, consultancy house a small consultancy house who only worked with asset and wealth management clients and so before I knew it and really without kind of planning a career in financial services I'd I'd ended up on a track that was, as you say, very, very different from the uh, the, the books and the libraries of my university career. Yeah, and that's that was Alpha FMC, was is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and, um, and, and you know, I learned sort of yeah, it was mm. yeah. So I joined joined in 2012, and I was there about six years, I think, six or seven years. And there was offices, as I said, London, Geneva and Boston. Um, and you led a US team? I was a senior manager over in the US. So was part of um, a, a team there that was growing the organisation. So Alpha started in the UK, um, you know, expanded into Europe and then expanded into the US. And so I joined the US team at a, a, a kind of transition and tran transformational period for them when they were growing quite rapidly. So a number of, of colleagues went across from the UK to support that growth. And did you have a blast in the, in the States? What, what was it like? What were the differences? How did you feel being an Englishwoman in, in America? Oh, uh, you know what? I, I have a wonderful mentor called um, Kirsty, and she said to me, Katie, uh, it, you will have the biggest cultural shock of your life. Do not think because you both speak English that it's going to be the same. And she was right. It, it is completely different. And it was such a different experience. And I, I flew out there from New Zealand in February. So, of course, I went from, as, as you know, uh, wearing shorts and a T-shirt and flip flops every day and going to the beach in um, the, the middle of summer to uh, a, a massive snowstorm in Boston when I landed yeah. Yeah. And, and having this. So that was a culture shock of itself. And then it was really it was a really different experience. I'm really grateful that I had that experience. It was, it was really challenging at times. And, you know, I was doing quite a bit of traveling between um, Boston and New York and Baltimore. It was a very, very busy time for the, or for Alpha, for the organization I worked for. And so, it, you know, it was, it was challenging. And 
it was something that I I look back on as with everything and think I learned an awful lot but I it's it's not a part of my life that I would want to live again mm. it, it, yeah just before we move on like what surprised you about America and um, is there a couple of things you liked or didn't or and didn't like oh that's a really good question I think I I I love the people in in in, in America, I think everybody is so open, um, which is really refreshing. You know, you can strike up conversation and and, and, every, and there's an, a real openness there, which I think is, is great. I think, you know, one of the, the challenges perhaps that I experienced is just the, the, the incredible difference, even just within states and within, within that, you know, how people work, how people operate. And, and so, you know, even just going from Baltimore to, to New York or, or to Boston, the, the ways of operating are very, very different. And then, you know, if you compare the East Coast to the West Coast, it's again, so different uh, mm. in terms of, you know, the lifestyles that people lead and the, what, what they're driven by, their, their motivations. And so I think that is something that takes a lot to learn and navigate your, you know, you're your dealing with effectively so many different almost different countries within you know the US I think mm -hmm. it's it's incredible that they they are such a you know the United States it's incredible really because it's such a, a huge place and you know there's such diversity of experience there yeah and so moving on from there so you um you get an offer before you leave Alpha or you land back in in England how did it what happened for you then yeah so there was a little bit of a transition in that um I knew I already knew Woodford from my consulting time so I that's used to, Neil Woodford just for the um listeners. yeah that's yeah. that's right so I've got a balance rock I know a bit about Neil because um I, having worked for uh St James's Place Wealth Management and, and running their charitable foundation um and Neil for his reputation and absolutely um, earned it reputation, but rockstar investment guru would be one way of describing it. Um, so you, and you, you knew of him, he knew you? So I, at the time that I started at Woodford, I, I actually mainly knew Craig Newman, who was the CEO, because I used to uh, provide consultancy services to Invesco, which is where they used to work. So I knew Craig, uh, the Woodford CEO, and I knew a number of other people on the management team who had, had come across from Invesco. And I, I did some consulting for Woodford actually when they first launched. So knew, knew Neil a little bit there uh, back in, gosh, probably 2014, I think. Um, I, I went back in 2018 uh, or the end of 2017 I started again doing a project for them and I, I used to split my time between Boston and Oxford so I spend two weeks in Boston two weeks in Oxford and fly at the weekends back and forth which was again a kind of wonderful experience but not something that I would rush to repeat. Yeah sounds glamorous but I can hear the pitfalls yeah. Oh yeah it, and and I think you know I've spent a lot of my life living out of suitcases and never even bothering to unpack the suitcase because you're not home for long enough. And as you say, people think it's really glamorous, but it's not, it's, it's, it really isn't. Uh, and, and the novelty soon wears off. 
So in the end, I decided that I would move back to the UK, um, that I would join Woodford as an employee, and I, I joined them in, in 2018. And I, I became head of strategic delivery, which is a wonderfully woolly job title that tells you nothing at all. But essentially, I was responsible for delivering their growth strategy. Mm, yeah. And this is um, making investments in um, growth organizations or um, putting together sector investments. Uh, and what what's your sort of superpower when it came to investment? What did you, you know, where's your um, skills in, in, in that piece? So I wasn't in the investment team. I, I was very much delivering kind of large scale projects that were either developing a new business line or you know developing a new product for example so it's slightly different focus than than the investment guys and I think you know the, the main thing for me was I have a real focus on getting things done so I'm very much a roll up your sleeves uh, you know action oriented outcome focused person and I think that's that's something that has been very helpful for me you know when you're you're working for a young investment manager who's who's you know growing quickly but also then now at Skylark where you know I'm responsible for all sorts of things mm. uh, you know we from registering for you know corporation tax which is not glamorous at all to defining you know strategy and developing services and supporting clients so I think you know that's one of the great things for me I guess is, is just let, let's get some stuff done yeah you're really action oriented and and you like completing what so sadly um Woodford Investments started well and but didn't end didn't last and ended um after three years or maybe longer you were there for two weren't you 2018 to two, January 2020 um it was quite a traumatic ending for you personally I know we we you know we're not necessarily going to talk about um Woodford's per se but just about your experience so you know suddenly you found yourself um your job coming to an end and that what had been a good experience ending quite violently for you yeah I, I excuse me I think it's I think that's fair to say you know we Woodford went through a very public crisis in 2019 and as a result the majority of the team were made redundant in in January of this year and, you know, as you said, it, it was undoubtedly an incredibly challenging time. You know, Woodford was much more than just a job for me. And, you know, I, I was close friends or I am close friends with a number of my colleagues. Uh, and I really, uh, I'm, I'm someone who really cares and I, I really give an awful lot to, to my job. So it was, it, was a, it was a really difficult time. You know, it was also very uh, mentally draining and emotionally and physically exhausting as well. Mm. But, you know, as cliched as it sounds, sometimes the hardest things teach you the most. And I definitely look back on that period and really just think about how much I learned. And yeah. tell, tell me about those learnings. Like, is there any specific kind of learnings that you kind of, for yourself, but also maybe collectively, like? Yeah, so many things. Um, I, you know, I, I think, one of the big things for me was was getting to a place of acceptance and the importance of that and how acceptance is such a helpful helpful destination. You know, I think life is the way it is, um, and and acceptance is really where it's at, as difficult as that may be sometimes. And so I always tell myself that one of our greatest freedoms 
is in how we respond to things. So, you know, I couldn't control what happened at, at Woodford, but I could control, you know, how, how I let it affect me and, and the way that I responded. And I think that was a really helpful kind of compass point for me going through that crisis. And, and I think, you know, gosh, there are so many things I learned, but a couple, you know, a couple of other things that spring to mind, again, another cliche, but it, it reminded me that life really is too short. So, you know, don't live to work, don't let work define you. Um, and, you know, make the best of what you have and enjoy yourself. I, I often say to people, imagine you're 85 and you're sat in a rocking chair beside the fire and, you know, consider your 85 year old self looking back on life and reflecting on all the things they wish they'd done but can no longer do. Like go and do those things now, you know, make some space, create some space to do those things while you can. And, you know, I, I think our 85 year old selves would also tell us to, to make choices, to do things, to say how we feel, to take risks. You know, failure and rejection are, are our answers. We know where we stand, but regret is something that we want to avoid because it's a question we'll never have an answer to. Mm, so I, I, I know that was, I remember having that conversation with, with Neil one day and, um, and, and I think, yeah, I, I often try and try and put myself in the shoes of, of my older version of myself and think, well, what would I regret doing um, or not doing rather and make sure I find the space for those. Yeah, yeah, that's and, some, you know, were, some oh, sorry. And um, yeah, imagine the, the sort of trauma of, of that because people, you know, there's a run on Woodford funds and these, you know, closing of, of uh, investments and, and then there's, you know, huge amounts of um, collateral damage or stress going on. It's very public, like you said. Um, and you guess you, is it true that you find out you know, about people <laughs> during that kind of um, process? I think, yeah, I think you're right. You know, definitely crises can bring out the best and the worst in people. And, you know, how you respond, again, can, can be a really defining period. So I think, you know, it's when you put people under incredible stress, um, which is which is inevitably what happens during a crisis you know you you will see really different responses and i think you know that the key thing for me throughout that was just to stay true to my values because i think you know if you don't have integrity what have you got mm. and so for me that was the the key thing there and and, and as well you know mistakes happen and, and learning from them is what counts. You know, my, my dad, I remember my dad saying to me, I've never met a person who hasn't made mistakes, Katie. And, you know, I think sometimes they, they can be even helpful, but you have to just make sure you learn from them. And so that was another key thing for me really during that time was to, to, to make sure I had some space to reflect on, you know, what, what I had learned really. Yeah, and, and keeping things in perspective, which I, which I really like. Um, I mean, kind of pale and significant, really, when, you know, in the context of COVID-19 and the, you know, the sort of um, what was ahead uh, for us as, as, a, as a globe, you know, as a country, as a certainly the UK with Brexit looming and, um, you know, that sort of crisis ahead. So just taking a bit of a sideways walk, um, and I've been in, in sort of, you know, preparing for this podcast, I've, I've sort of stalked your... Um, 
LinkedIn profile and, and you've got a real interest in um, volunteering. So you, you've got some organizations that you, you uh, give your time for. Um, just describe what joy you get out of that and, and what you do in a volunteering capacity. Yeah, absolutely. I um, yeah, so I, I joined a number of, of kind of voluntary organisations this year. One of them is um, Shout, which is a crisis text line here in the UK, and essentially it's a, a twenty four seven text service for anyone in a in a crisis anywhere. And you know, it's a place to go if you're struggling to cope and you you need help. And I think it's work. You know, being a volunteer at Shout has been the most incredible experience i've i've learned so much in terms of how to best support people going through a crisis you do a very uh, extensive training program before before you're let loose on uh, on the world and and so i've learned an awful lot from that it's incredibly rewarding when you do feel that you've helped somebody and it's very real time as well so you know you're 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 getting immediate feedback as to whether you're having a positive impact. And I think it's also incredibly grounding. You, you know, you're in contact with a lot of people who are perhaps feeling suicidal. They may be struggling with depression or anxiety. Uh, I've had a number of you know, abuse scenarios. And I think, you know, for me, it's I live such it, I live such a privileged life in reality. And you know, I always think it's the responsibility of privilege to give back. And, and as much as, you know, we always think that volunteering is, is this kind of wonderfully selfless act. In reality, it isn't because I get so much from it as well. You know, I, I really do find it an incredibly fulfilling activity. Um, so that's, uh, Shout is, is one of my, my kind of main voluntary activities that I do. And then I'm also a uh, a uh, member of the Specialist Volunteer Network at Inspiring Scotland, and I'm a volunteer management consultant with the Cranfield Trust. And effectively, they're, they're similar, similar, similar things in that you can lend assistance to charities to you know, help them overcome uh, specific challenges that, that, that they may be having. Yeah, and you've got, the, like you've got a real strategic lens on, on um, your experience, so you'd be a real benefit to them. Um, as, as we go, uh, move towards um, wrapping up, I just wanted to take a bit of a um, left turn and, and sort of just touch on you as, as a person and, and you know, what makes you tick. So you, love, you talk about loving the outdoors and, and that's not a massive surprise being a farmer's daughter. Um, what, what are your guilty pleasures? Um, you know, if you had an opportunity to be stuck in the lift with someone dead or alive, who would that be? Oh, so, I mean, that's a great one. Um, so Guilty Pleasures, uh, cake. I, I love cake. Um, I just, I have a real sweet tooth. And thankfully, I walk an awful lot with my dog, which offsets the amount of fat and sugar that I put into my body every day. Um, but I, I really enjoy baking and just generally consuming cake is, is definitely a guilty pleasure. And I would say I always describe... Um, my I, I read when I need to read something that's just kind of mindless and helps me switch off I read crime fiction novels and so I always describe those as my my kind of guilty reading pleasure as well because they are um yeah they are quite 
quite wonderful in terms of just being able to yeah lose yourself in in a completely different world yeah and then oh my goodness like stuck in a lift with one person I think the the person that springs to mind is um Naval Ravikant I I don't know if you've heard of Naval but he's an Indian American entrepreneur and investor but he he's also you know a a philosopher in, in the modern sense I guess and so he's got so many words of wisdom. Uh, he did a wonderful podcast with um, Shane Parrish from Farnham Street. And, um, and I, it was one of those podcasts that I've shared with you know, all of my friends and family and told everybody to listen to. It's called The Angel Philosopher. And he's really quite an inspiring and insightful person. So I think, you know, if I could choose anyone it, it would perhaps be Naval because I think you would learn an awful lot while stuck in a lift with him yeah that, that sounds fantastic um and just to close um advice to uh, a young Katie Brown oh that's that's a great one I think what I would say if I had to kind of choose you know one thing is is that you know your health and well-being is so important do not sacrifice it it is never worth it and you know I'm speaking of somebody who has done that and I've learned the hard way I I have um, a number of chronic health conditions which I've I've lived with for the last six or seven years now and and some of them leave me or can leave me in quite significant daily pain and you know that can be quite difficult and you know, I, for for a number of years, really, I, I've just sacrificed my my health. And I think what I when what I learned uh, very much the hard way is that it takes you a lot longer to get it back than it takes you to lose it. So if I if I had my my time again, that would definitely be something that I would pay a lot more attention to. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to reconnect. Um, and I do hope that you do, you know, get back to New Zealand so we can meet for a, a, a coffee or a flat white mate, as they say down under. Um, yeah, real pleasure. Good luck with Skylark Works. Um, I'm sure it'll be a huge success and uh, let's stay connected. Thank you, Mark. It was so lovely to speak with you. And um, yeah, I desperately hope that I get back to New Zealand. massive thank you for listening to Purpose of Podcasts. I'm thoroughly enjoying bringing these stories to you. Visit our website, purposefulpodcast.com. Join our tribe, leave your email address. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please hit subscribe. Please leave a review, really appreciate it. 